0: Alright, Matthew chapter number 9 this morning. I'd like to read one verse and uh, have a word of prayer and we'll preach this morning. I want you to look at verse number 9 with me. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, easy to find there. The Bible says, "...and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him." Let's read that once more. "...and as Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Let's pray together. Lord, again, we do thank you for the privilege to be in your house this morning, Lord, with your word, your people, and your spirit. And Father, we just ask that you would do the work in hearts that needs to be done. Lord, we want to glorify you this morning. And we're trusting you to do a mighty work in our midst. Father, we love You and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, the singular verse that we have read this morning presents to us the call of Matthew, the disciple, into the ministry. You know, as you begin to read through the New Testament, you'll find that Matthew is really only mentioned a handful of times. Sometimes he's known as Matthew. Sometimes he's known as Levi, the son of Alphaeus. But he's only mentioned a few times in the Gospel record. That wouldn't be all that astounding. There's a lot of people and even several of the disciples that are only mentioned a handful of times. Except that God used Matthew to bear record in the second longest gospel and the second longest book in the New Testament. In fact, when God opens the doorway and introduces the New Testament canon, He does so with the gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is used and we understand that each of the Gospels presented Christ in a distinct way. There are four Gospels, three of them are known as synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, meaning that they present basically the same events, maybe in a different timeline or a different order, uh, but they present basically the same grouping of miracles and teachings and events in the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. And then John is set aside wholly by itself. In the book of John you'll find lots of things that are not found in the other three Gospels, and there are lots of things in the other three Gospels that are not found in the book of John. Each one of the Gospels presents Christ in a different way. It's all the same Christ, but it presents Him in different aspects. The book of John presents Christ as the Son of God, God in the flesh, the co-eternal and co-existent second person of the Trinity. The book of Luke presents Him as the Son of Man, presents Him in His humanity. As you read through the book of Luke, you'll find more instances of Christ growing fatigued and tired and things of that sort. And His humanity is on display in the book of Luke. In the book of Mark, He's presented as the servant of man and as the servant of God. And you know, when He came, He didn't come to be ministered unto, but He came to minister. And certainly He did in His ministry. You won't find very many instances in the Gospels of people doing things for Jesus Christ. But all through the Gospels, you'll find Christ doing works in people's lives. And the book of Matthew is wholly unique in that it presents Him as the King of the Jews and the King of kings. Now stop and think about the magnitude of that truth. And yet we know so little about the man that pinned down this gospel. It's interesting as you consider that fact to note that Matthew could have said anything he wanted to say about himself. And we, we understand that as the Spirit of God guided his thoughts and guided the truths that were pinned down, we understand it's not just what Matthew wanted to, to put forth. But if you or I were writing a history... I know how you or I would write it. I, I was sort of joking one day. I was talking with my brother and we were reading in uh, one of the Gospels where it talks about John and Peter running to the tomb in the Gospel of John. And it says that uh, John, that disciple whom Jesus loved, outran Peter. And uh, my brother looked at me and said, oh, now he's just bragging. Amen? <laughs> and uh, we understand that wasn't the case in that situation. But certainly, if you or I were writing a history down, we'd always try to present ourselves in a, in a positive light. And yet in all 27 chapters, or 28 chapters of the book of Matthew, we find that only two verses mention his name. You can look if you wish, but over in chapter number 10, as it is giving a list of the disciples, uh, it uh, mentions Matthew, uh, and only his name is just simply mentioned there, Matthew the publican in verse number 3. But... Of two verses in the book of Matthew, this is the only one that gives us any insight into the life of Matthew. You know, I believe that's significant. Uh, it's been said before that if a man only has a short amount of time to speak or to say something, he'll put more thought into what he says. My pastor used to always tell me growing up, he would, he would say this, that if I have uh, an hour to preach, give me five minutes to prepare. And if I have five minutes to preach, you better give me an hour to prepare. And so Matthew packs all of the story of his life as he wishes to tell it into this one singular verse. And this is sort of, if I could put it this way, I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning on the tax man's testimony and what Matthew had to say about himself. There's a context to this particular verse. You'll find in the beginning part of Matthew chapter 9 that it's recorded for us, the healing at Capernaum of the man that was sick of the palsy. And most of you would be very familiar with Mark's account of it where it tells us that he was born of four different men and they brought this man and when they could not get into the house at Capernaum there because of the multitude that they went up onto the house, uncovered the roof and let this man down and that Christ healed him. This is the miracle that has just taken place. And it is this that frames this testimony of Matthew. And Matthew's testimony begins this way. He says in verse 9, And as Jesus passed forth from thence. Now you say, well, preacher, there's nothing significant of that. Jesus had to come from somewhere. There's a lot of ways Matthew could have said it. He could have said Jesus came walking one day. He could have said Jesus came from somewhere. I don't know where. He could have said Jesus came from somewhere, but it's of no consequence where it was. But rather, Matthew seems to show an emphasis on the place from which Jesus came when he walked by his way. I want you to notice first off the coming of the Savior into Matthew's life. Do you remember that day when God came into your life? There's a lot of similarities. You see, I want you to first off consider the miracle that he had just walked away from. I I mean, let me say this, that, that as a pastor, one of the key elements you have to always keep in mind is time management. And that's true of anyone that sort of makes their own schedule, because it's real easy to let time get away from you. Sometimes we value our time a little too highly. It was said for a lot of years, I don't know if it's true or not, it wouldn't surprise me, but that Bill Gates, if he was walking down the street, and he looked down and saw a hundred dollar bill lying on the ground, that the time it would take him to reach down and pick it up would actually cost him money. Versus the bill that he would pick up. Of course, if you're Bill Gates, you've got a guy that follows you around to pick up $100 bills. Amen? And we value our time. Whose time was more important than the Son of God? I mean, he had just came away from looking at a palsied man and saying, Thy sins be forgiven. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Rise up and behold. Rise up and walk. And he walked away and he sees a man named Matthew sitting there. And he is compassionate enough that despite the magnitude of the miracle he had just performed, he looked and saw Matthew sitting there. There's been times, and I, I told Miss Gay in this morning, uh, she came up to me and mentioned about having an altar of prayer for, for Brother Charlie, and I, I'm glad that we did that. And I, I told her, I said, well, you better tell Larry because I'm liable to forget. And sometimes I get up preaching in a big way, and and, and I, it's, I'm, I'm here. It's not that I'm in another world. I mean, it's not that I'm not myself. But sometimes I get keyed in and focused in on what I'm preaching. I don't notice things. People come up to me sometimes and say, "Brother Toby, I'm sorry for the disruption my child made," and I don't even know that they've got a child. Amen. I mean, I, it didn't even register with me what was going on. Sometimes you get so focused that you can see nothing else, and you get tunnel vision. But here is the Son of God. I mean, listen. He's just he's the Creator. Of the universe. He has just spoken to a man sick of the palsy. A man that could not be healed. That would never be whole. And he with his magnificent and powerful words said rise up and be healed. And he goes walking away. And he sees Matthew. And he cares enough to stop and to make an impact in his life. And you think about all the things God's done. Think about it. Consider not just the miracle, but consider the ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about all the miracles that he did. This is a man that raised the dead. This is a man that literally, this is a man that walked on water. This is a man that opened blinded eyes. This is a man that, that loosened a tongue that couldn't speak, that opened ears that couldn't hear. And yet he had enough interest in Matthew to stop by his way one day and to speak to him. Man, what a God we've got. What a Savior that we've got. But that's no different from me and you. You know, God, he, He's the orchestrator of nations in history. I mean, we, we do a lot of complaining about politics. And, and I do. I complain about politics just like anybody else does. And, and things are looking awful bad. Of course, they always look awful bad. <laughs> and, uh, but you understand that God raises them up and God sits them down. That's what the Bible teaches. The president that we've got right now, we've got because God allowed that to happen. And, and you say, do you mean He's God's man? I'm not saying He's a man of God. I'm saying this, maybe... After 40 years of killing the unborn, God's finally said America needs to be judged. You know, sometimes God judges a nation with, with bad rulers. The Bible says that when the wicked reign, the people mourn. Are we mourning? I'd say we are. Probably not near enough. We're probably not upset enough by it. Man, God, He's the orchestrator of nations. I mean, He, he literally, He moves this world around like a child would a game of checkers. But He looked down on me. They He had compassion on me. Just a little child. I mean, I was insignificant. I, I, I mattered to a few people. I mean, my, my parents kind of liked me. And I, and, and I had a friend at school that would sometimes not run away when I, when I talked to him. I mean, there were a few people that cared about me in my life. But why would God ever care about me? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. Matthew says, i look back on it now. We don't know exactly when Matthew wrote his Gospel, but we know it's many, many years after this... Event has taken place, and he looks back and he thinks to himself, you know, there he came from Capernaum. There he came from changing a man's life in such a profound way. There he came walking away from such a marvelous miracle. And he noticed me sitting over at the receipt of custom. He denotes the the coming of the Savior. But then I I want you to not only notice the coming of the Savior, but I want you to notice the call of Matthew that takes place. Now, the Bible says this, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, He saw a man named Matthew. Now, again, sometimes it would help you, and and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Sometimes it would help you to consider how the Word of God could have been written. Not to change it, but to appreciate the way it has been written. You understand what I mean? There's a lot of ways Matthew could have said that. In fact, he didn't even have to say it that way. He could have said that as he walked along, he saw Matthew. That would have been fine. He could have even said as he walked along, he saw me. He could have said it like John said it. He saw a man whom he loved. But the way he describes it is significant. Inasmuch as he says he saw a man... When we speak about a, a, a man, and I, I believe that the, the connotation here is a human being. I mean, I, I think Matthew, I, don't get me wrong, I don't think he's got a gender complex. Amen? I, I think he understands that he's a man. But I think what he's saying more than, than just his gender is, is he's saying he looked and he saw a human being. He saw a human being. Matthew was an important man because he was a publican. I mean, he, he was a, I mean before they even had republicans, he was a publican. I don't know what they ever did to depublic things, but whatever it was, before they had to republic it, he was a publican. He was an important. I knew Dad like that. I don't know why, but I just knew Dad like that. I mean, this is an important man. This is a wealthy man. In fact, one of the only insights we get to the life of Matthew, and it's not really found in a distinct way in the Book of Matthew. It's hinted at. It's referenced, but but Matthew doesn't go out of his way to say that he did it. And, and in Mark and in Luke, it is mentioned that he did it, that he made a feast in his house and invited all the publicans and sinners. I mean, he's a wealthy man. But it doesn't say he saw a wealthy man. He's an important man. I mean, there's not a lot of folks that you really have to worry about their opinion. But the IRS is one of them. Like it or lump it, my friend, you better care what they think. They say, well, you know, the government don't rob us at gunpoint. Well, don't pay your taxes. We'll find out. Amen? They won't come to you and knock on your door with a gun, but they will say, hey, this house is ours. And if you say, I won't move, they'll say, we'll call the police. And the police come and say, you've got to move. The bank owns this now. You say, well, I'm not going to move. And then you'll see the guns. Amen? He's an important man. He's a man with authority. But it doesn't say he saw an authoritative man, or he saw a rich man, or he saw a powerful man. It just says he saw a man. Because at the end of the day, let me tell you something, that's what God sees when He sees me in you. He sees a lost sinner in need of salvation. The ground's level, they say, at the foot of the cross, and I believe that, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that as I stand at the cross, that I'm no different than the most important man in the entire world. Me and the most important man in the world, were both, when we came to the cross, if He's been to the cross, I know I've been, and if He's been there when we came, we both came as lost sinners in need of salvation. We see that it was a perceptive look. He saw a man and he knew his condition. He knew his heart condition. He saw a man in need of Christ. But I want you to notice, not only was it a a perceptive look, it was a personal look. When he saw a man, he saw a man named Matthew. He knew his name. I don't think that, that what Matthew is denoting is that when he saw him, his name was Matthew and later on they were introduced. But I think in the same way that Christ said uh, to Philip uh, or to Nathaniel that I saw thee when thou wast under the fig tree, and that just—I mean—that blew Nathaniel's mind. He said, "Under the fig tree, how did you know I was under the fig tree?" And he said, "You think that's something? You're really going to see something if you'll arise and follow me." He said, "You'll see heaven open and uh, the angels descending up and down on the Son of Man." See, I think I think what Matthew is trying to denote is that when he saw Him, he didn't just know about Him, but he knew Him. He knew who He was. You know, we were talking a little bit in uh, VBS. We were preaching one night, talking one night about the things that Christ understands in our heart and life. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest. There may be things you go through that I can't identify with. Uh, As I was teaching VBS, we, we had kids that were there that were from broken homes. I knew they were from broken homes. I know the family. And I made the comment, and I looked directly at these kids. I said, listen to me, I can sit there and tell you I know what it's like for your parents to go through a divorce, but I can't. I'd be lying to tell you that. Now, there's things I've been through that you can't identify with. And there's things you've been through that I can't identify with. But there's nothing that you've been through, and there's nothing that I've been through that the blessed Son of God cannot identify with. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows what you've been through. Uh, Inevitably, when you go to witness to folks, you know what they'll say? They'll say, You don't know me. You know, a lot of times that's true, but let me tell you something. Nobody can look at God and say, You don't know me. He knew your name. (laughs) He didn't just find out your name, He knew your name. He knew who Matthew was, He knew who he was. When he walked by that way. Matthew doesn't record it this way. And maybe we're, maybe we're overstepping and overreaching to assume this. But, but I would say it would not have been even an unusual thing if maybe he had called his name. Because I know when he saved me, he called my name. Oh, I didn't hear an audible voice. But what I mean is this. I knew when God convicted my heart, I knew he was speaking to me whether He was speaking to anyone else, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, not, that, not just that He was speaking to everybody, but that He was speaking to me. He knew my situation. And I knew in my heart of hearts, at that moment, in that moment, that if I died, I'd die and go to hell. And the only way I could know that is for God to make it real to me. We see in this passage, not only the coming of the Savior and the call of Matthew, but notice the characterization of Matthew. Now, how does Matthew describe himself? If I describe myself, I, I I don't know what I'd really say. I've never had to do it. You know, I mean, I didn't I didn't meet my wife in a singles ad or anything, so I I've always kind of laughed. You know, you everybody knows how to put a spin on things, right? I mean, like if I if I was going to describe, I, I would probably say dashing. You know, I w- I would probably say stocky. Uh. Difficult to move, maybe, you know. I don't know. Uh, I would say well insulated, both both internally and externally, uh, except up top, <laughs> where it gets a little cold during the winter. You know, we'd all describe ourselves in a myriad of different ways, and people have, uh, uh, you know, ways of describing themselves that that put a good spin on it. But Matthew doesn't doesn't do anything like that. You know what he simply says? He saw a man named Matthew. And then describes what he was doing. You know, he, he didn't describe everything that he had done, but he knew what he was doing in that moment. You know, that's, that's sort of the way salvation is. When you come to Christ, it would fail you to remember every sin you've ever committed. There's no way you could. I was listening as we sang, I Never Shall Forget the Day. And uh, l- l- listen to me. Don't, don't be such a doctrinal stickler that you can't enjoy any song. Right, because I don't care what song it is, I can pick it apart doctrine-wise if we want to. But there was a line that stuck out to me, and I always just kind of grinned within myself. It said, Confess to Him your every sin. Now, let me say, I'm glad that that's not to the letter what God requires, because I couldn't confess every sin. But buddy, let me tell you something. In that moment, I knew I was a sinner. I didn't know everywhere I'd been, but I knew where I was sitting in that moment. And Matthew denotes himself, and he points out, I think, two things. I want you to notice, first off, he denotes the vocation that he worked at. He said he was sitting at the receipt of custom. That's what he did. He was a tax man. He sat there in that chair, and he waited on people to walk by and give him. Not a gift, we understand that, but practically we could put it that way. He just sat there day in and day out. You ever thought about your life before Christ? What you did. Hey, I'm serious. Have you ever just sat and thought about it? Those of you that were saved at a little bit older age, have you ever thought about it? Some of you, when you worked, I mean, you worked to Friday so you could drink to Monday. Right? Just sat at the receipt of custom. Some of you, you worked to buy bigger toys or, or a better house, and then once you got the, the better toys or, or the bigger house or whatever it might have been, you just worked harder to get something else. Some of you, you went from relationship to relationship to relationship trying to find something to fill that void. Like the woman at the well. You know, that's what Christ was really trying to point out to her. She she said, let me drink of this water so that I don't have to come hither to draw. And he says, you don't understand. I'm not talking about physical water. I'm talking about spiritual water. Because spiritually, you've, got, you've been with five husbands, and the man you're with now isn't your husband because you know that he won't fill that void in your life. He wasn't being ugly. He wasn't being mean. He was trying to show her... That her nomadic spirit had driven her from one place to another and never been satisfied, never been fulfilled. Some of you, that's how it was. Just relationship to relationship, job to job. Maybe you settled down but always felt that void and that emptiness. All you did day in and day out as you just sat there at the receipt of custom. Just going about your business. Because that's what he was doing. Just going about his business. See, I think he's talking about the vocation, but I think he's talking about the vanity of his existence beforehand. I mean, his job, he dealt in monetary means. He dealt in money that was to burn up and to fade away. And then a man walked by one day and said, follow me. And ever since that day forward, his life was eternally changed. Man, you think about what God has done in our lives. Think about what God has done. In our... Think about where you could be today. You could be sitting on a bar stool like one of these folks down at these pubs and these bars, just trying to drink away your misery, but here you are in God's house. Listen, you you could be sitting at home trying to weep your way through another broken relationship, but here you sit today in the house of God. Let me tell you something. We can mock the mundane things of life all we want, but he wasn't bungee jumping or skydiving when God found him. He was just sitting at the receipt of custom. It was just an every day that turned out to be the day. And you may come to church. Or there may be somebody here playing church this morning. Came to churches because that's what you do. And it's just an every day. But you know, this might be the day. If you'll open your heart to the Lord, it can be the day. We see the characterization of Matthew. But notice the command of the Savior. What does He say? It says, And He said unto me, Arise and follow me. What a, what a simple command that is. It is simple, isn't it? He didn't give him a bunch of instructions. You know what he said? He said, I'll just stay with you, and you'll stay with me, and you watch me, and you follow me, and you'll be all right. It was a simple command. You know, salvation is a simple thing. Now, it's not easy for the flesh, but it's a simple thing. In fact, sometimes it's that simplicity that people stumble at. That's the reason that Paul exhorted some to not be drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Because man always seeks to convolute and complicate that which God has created. And it's simple. It's simple. Simply recognize you're a sinner and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from depending on yourself to depending on Him. We were talking about it in Sunday school. I was teaching some of the younger kids in Sunday school this morning. And, and, and I always like teaching young kids, you know, because they're excited. I mean, old people. Some of you, I'd have to stick a mirror under your nose to find out if you're with us or not this morning. But the young people always have such a good time. They're always so excited. And, and I gave the illustration to them this morning about wanting to go on vacation and, and going to take a flight. And some of you, I know you've heard this, but it won't bother you to hear it again. And going to take a flight somewhere, and you know I, I could go and I could buy the clothes I' need for that vacation, and it wouldn't get me there, and, and I could go and, and buy the supplies that I'd need for that vacation. I could get that, that wouldn't get me there. I could go and buy a plane ticket, but that wouldn't get me there. I could go and stand at the tarmac and look down the runway and watch the plane take off and it wouldn't get me there. There's only one thing that will get me where I need to be. I've got to get in the plane and put my life in the hands of the pilot. I've got to put my trust in Him. I, I, I've got to commit my destination to His capability. You know, that's what salvation is. That's the reason it's important that we emphasize the resurrection. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want no dead pilot before, during, or after we take off. He ain't going to get me there, amen? Amen. Because a dead pilot, he can't get anybody anywhere. But a living pilot, now he can get you where you need to go. And a dead Savior, he couldn't get you anywhere. But a living Savior, he's able. And if you'll put your faith in that living Savior, he'll save you. See, it's a simple command. He said, follow me. But notice it's a singular command. He didn't say, follow me and do this and this and that and this and that and this and that. And if this happens, do this. And if that happens, do that. He just said, follow me. Singular command. You know, we boil the Christian life down and it's really a singular command to follow Him. To follow Him. After we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, what does He expect of us? To follow Him. You say, but preacher, I I thought I was supposed to read my Bible. Oh, you are. You are. You know what Christ said? Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will. He said that that search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. He is the written Word as well as the living Word. So I thought I was supposed to pray. Oh, you mean the way that he would oft go to the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives and pray? So I thought, preacher, I was supposed to witness whenever I come across a lost person. I'm supposed to tell him about Jesus Christ. Oh, you mean the way that he did in John chapter 4 when he led that poor woman to himself? See, at the end of the day, we really boil it down, and it's a follow me instruction. But let me point this out. This instruction, you see, he doesn't say follow a map or follow my steps. He says follow me. He didn't draw out a map of what Matthew needed to do and then say follow this map. He said follow me. There has to be a closeness of proximity. That's what God's looking for. You can't follow Him if you're not spending time with Him. You might be able to follow some of the things that He's done, but you won't be able to follow Him unless there's a close proximity. Notice finally, and I'm done, the commitment that Matthew made. Notice first off his response. He arose. He arose. He got up from where He was and went to where he was supposed to go. You say, preacher, that's works. No, no, that's not works. A lot of people have confusion about this. That's not works. Repentance is not works. Repentance is not an action. Repentance is an attitude of the heart that produces an action. Much the same way that faith is not an action. But faith is an effectual dependence of the heart that produces an outward action. And you say, I thought it was about faith and not about works. Well, it is by faith and not by works. But faith without works is dead. So true faith is a faith that will work. And repentance is the same way. You know what he realized? Think about it. He got up and he walked away from the table. That's where he was sitting, wasn't it? Sitting there at his job. Sitting there at the table. Except he walked away from all those folks walking up and giving him money. He walked away from all the glad handing and all the politeness and all the the false kindness that no doubt they would show towards someone that had that kind of authority in their life. He walked away from the fakeness. He walked away from the vanity. He walked away from the lies. He walked away from the emptiness. He got up from the receipt of custom and followed Jesus Christ. What a picture of repentance! It wasn't that he did anything or earned anything or worked. But he did walk away from who the old Matthew was. He said, that old Matthew's still sitting at the receipt of custom. But Levi, the son of Alphaeus, the one that's been born from above, he's following Jesus Christ. We see his response, but then we see his responsibility. His responsibility was to follow. Can I ask you this simple question? I'll close. Are you following Jesus Christ this morning in your daily life? I don't mean are you following the things you think He would want you to do. I mean, are you following Him? If you don't have no prayer life, you're not following Him. If you're not in constant communion with the Word of God, not just so that you might speak to Him through prayer, but that He might speak to you through His Word, then you're not following Him. If you're not being faithful. Somebody came up to me in BBS and said, I appreciate your faithfulness. I said, listen, I couldn't be faithful to Him if He wasn't faithful to me. I couldn't be. Because His faithfulness to me is what gives me the strength to be faithful to Him. Great is thy faithfulness to the Lord. Are you being faithful to Him? Are you walking with Him and for Him? Are you living for Him? If you're not, I wonder if this morning, if you'd find your way down to this altar, make a commitment afresh and anew to say, you know, maybe I have drifted. Maybe I have been following afar off. Maybe I've not been walking the way that I should be walking. This morning, I'm going to make a commitment, afresh and anew, to serve my Savior and to walk in His steps.